Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nault here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ken Berry, Amazon best-selling author of the book Lies My Doctor Told Me. I was first introduced to the work of Ken Berry a couple years ago at a local biohacking lab here in Nashville called Quantify Fitness. And I picked up his book that I just mentioned, Lies My Doctor Told Me, and was really just hooked from the intro, really. I mean, Ken is just super open and honest about his time as a conventional physician, really, just prescribing standard of care in terms of nasty pharmaceutical drugs with all sorts of side effects. And he talks openly, as you'll hear in this episode, about the fact that he realized he wasn't curing anybody. He was actually doing a lot more harm than good, which is the position that most doctors find themselves in in 2019. We dig deep on this in this episode, and Ken really gives us a walkthrough of how this happened, exactly how medicine has lost its way and how we need to get it back on track, and how really we, the people, as cliche as that sounds, play a huge role in getting the medical system back on track and working in tandem with our physicians to work towards a better future for medicine. Since the release of his book, it's been a real pleasure to just watch this meteoric rise in popularity of Dr. Ken Berry, and you'll see why in this episode. He's just hilarious. He is extremely intelligent and has this incredible ability to take really complex topics and break them down in a way that is just absurdly easy to understand and uses hilarious analogies while he's at it. I just... Editing this podcast was such a joy for me just to listen back to all the amazing things that he said, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. We cover a ton of ground in this conversation. We talk about the new red meat study that everybody's going crazy about. We talk about the anthropological data of the carnivore diet, and we talk about the medical mainstream, how it lost its way, and why we can't trust the experts anymore. We talk about his journey from a conventional MD to more of a functional approach, and he just gives you super practical advice on how to find the right doctor, how to challenge your doctor in the right way. What questions can you ask when you're hit with a diagnosis or a prescription for pharmaceuticals, et cetera, et cetera? What verbiage to use when you want your doctor to know that you're serious, that you're taking your own healthcare serious? It's just incredibly practical advice. I think you're really going to get a ton of value from this episode. And I just want to give you a bit more background with Ken's bio. Dr. Ken Berry is a practicing board-certified physician, an Amazon best-selling author, and a passionate advocate of health on his YouTube channel, where he has over 700,000 subscribers. Along with his online presence, he is active in his own community of Camden, Tennessee, where he has been practicing at the Berry Clinic since 2003. Dr. Berry is known for his direct, no-nonsense approach to health and wellness. After signing with Victory Belt Publishing House this year, Dr. Berry just released a second edition of his best-selling book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. He is also in the process of writing his second book called Common Sense Keto for Type 2 Diabetes. He looks forward to working with the real people of the world in continuing his mission to bring an end to the obesity and type 2 diabetes epidemics, along with bringing awareness to such issues as thyroid health and hormone optimization. I also want to let you know that Lies My Doctor Told Me is now available on Audible, and I highly, highly recommend you get your hands on this book, whether it's 
paper or Kindle or Audible, whatever you got to do, get your hands on this book. It is a must read for anyone interested in their own health and wellness, which should be all of you. You can connect with Ken Berry on the interwebs. His website is Ken D. Berry. K-E-N-D-B-E-R-R-Y-M-D.com. Ken D. Berry, M-D.com. You can find him on YouTube slash Ken D. Berry. You can find him on Instagram at Ken D. Berry dot M-D. And you can find him on Facebook as well at Ken D. Berry dot M-D. You can also find all of the show notes and resources for this episode at Clovis.show slash Ken, C-L-O-V-I-S dot S-H-O-W slash Ken. Before we dive in, as always, this episode is brought to you by Clovis. And today I am announcing that registration has begun for the first ever Clovis Challenge. The Clovis Challenge is a 21-day nutrition challenge. For those of you not quite ready to dive into a custom nutrition plan through Clovis just yet, this will give you an opportunity to dip your toes in the water. This is a 21-day nutrition challenge and educational experience that will change the way you view food, health, and wellness forever. I am going to help you create the blueprints for your best Life. The Clovis Challenge is all about learning the basics, unlearning the mainstream nonsense, and relearning the truth about your health, wellness, and mindset. When you sign up for the Clovis Challenge, you will get access to the daily educational emails, over 22 emails, each including their own unique daily lesson. You also get access to the Clovis Challenge membership website, a members-only platform with videos, eBooks, podcasts, resources, and exclusive Clovis Challenge discounts. You will also get access to three separate eBooks to set you up for success, the Clovis Challenge Crash Course, How to Prep Your Home and Family, and How to Find Your Woo-Woo Thing. You also gain access to the private Clovis Challenge Facebook group, a safe space for you to share your journey with your new tribe of like-minded individuals. This is the first ever Clovis Challenge, so I am limiting participants and I'm giving you, my Clovis tribe, first dibs on this exciting new experience. Registration is now open and I am offering the full 21-day Clovis Challenge for just $37. That is less than $2 a day, less than a black coffee at Starbucks. You should totally take advantage of this ridiculous opportunity. To sign up, just visit ClovisChallenge.com. Again, ClovisChallenge.com and sign up for the 21-day Clovis Challenge. All right, let's get on with the episode. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Ken Berry. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Today, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Ken Berry. Amazon best-selling author, YouTube sensation, fellow red meat lover, just all-around awesome guy, man. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. You're welcome, man. Thank you so much for agreeing to it. I, I am honored. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. So for starters, I want to just jump in, hit the ground running on a, a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is red meat. <laughs> this uh, this new current event, obviously, there's this this big study that came out, this new study in the, the annals of internal medicine that seems to really vindicate meat, which you've been talking about forever. Um, so I just wanted to, to get you to correct me if I'm wrong here. Is this an, a new study or is this more of just a review of previous studies? 
there, there's actually a series of four articles or four studies that were done, and uh, the the article was published in uh, the American College of Physicians Journal, the Annals. And uh, there's really what they did is they applied a new, not a new grading system, but a more rigorous grading system to the research studies that were already done. And many of your listeners may know that that virtually all nutrition studies that they would then say, oh, red meat causes heart disease or processed meat causes uh, colon cancer. All those studies are observational studies, right? And they use food frequency questionnaires. And in some cases, the study, and they would follow a large group of people. And so the large number of participants, that's good. You want that. That, that makes a better study. But the problem is the way they conducted the study. And so in, in some cases, they would ask the food frequency questionnaire only one time in 10 or 15 years. And I could just ask you and all your listeners this question, do you eat the same way you ate 10 years ago? Not even close. The answer is probably hell no, not even close, right? No. And so if, if you were part of this study and they gave you the food frequency questionnaire back in 2001, and then now they're going to publish a study, you're, you'll be a participant, you're in there. And your answers from 2001 will be in there, even though you eat a completely different diet now but you would still be included in the data. You see that uh, just see. on its surface, even, even if I, and I said this on another uh, thing, if an eighth grader was, if they were doing a project about how to do a scientific study, right. And the eighth grader said, Hey, uh, you know, teacher, I've got this idea. I'm going to follow people for 20 years. And I'm going to ask them a set of questions one time at the beginning. Now I'm not going to ask them anymore. Then I'm going to publish that. The, st- the teacher would be like, no, Jimmy, that's that's a stupid. No, that's dumb. That, that that's not gonna, sh- not definitely not gonna show causation, but that's gonna really imply correlation. That's just a silly study. You need to go back to your desk and wad that up and throw that away and start again and see if you can't come up with a better study design than that. It's just an idiotic study design. Yeah. But that's all they really have in nutrition right now, and that's all they've had for the last 30 years. And so they've come, the average nutritionist, dietitian, people like that have come to view this as solid science that you can make at least correlations with. And, and they are happy to, to imply that there was causation, even though they're not. Right. But, and so, the, so what happened was, is this group of, and it was actually statisticians, doctors, nutritionists, there was a group of people got together and said, let's look at these and let's apply a more rigorous uh, study design tool to these studies. And so they did that and it's called a grade system. And, what, and we would use that to figure out is a is a um, a medication a pharmaceutical? Is it worthy of FDA approval or not? Is this just background noise we're seeing in this study, or is this real meaningful data? And so they applied that system to the observational nutrition data, and what they found was at the very very best, these nutritional studies give us a poor uh, level of evidence, and and in most cases it was a very poor level of evidence, and so. If the vegan diet or the vegetarian diet or even the Mediterranean diet, if it were a drug trying to get FDA approval, then based on every single nutritional study that's been done over the last 20, 30, 40 years, they would be denied because their evidence basically doesn't show anything but background noise. And you can't get an FDA approval for a drug 
with background noise. There has to be demonstrable evidence. And so really what this is pointing out is that all the nutritional studies that have been done that have been, you know, preached and heralded to the heavens, oh, red meat is as bad as smoking cigarettes, blah, blah, blah. They're meaningless. They don't show anything. It's what this really is is saying. And so the, this the this publication is not saying that red meat's good. That's not what it's saying. It's not sure. saying it's just saying that all the studies that purported to show a correlation between either red meat or processed meat are foolishness. They don't show anything. They're they're literally background noise. Wow. That's an amazing way to look at it is, is the idea if you were trying to get a drug approved, it would fail based on these new strict guidelines. That's that's a really yeah. interesting way yeah. to look at it. And a lot of the big nutritional gurus like David Katz and, and Willett and all these guys are whining, saying, mm. well, you're you're applying too rigorous of a standard to our research. And it's like, I'm sorry, are you a scientist or a crybaby? Well, right. What's wrong with you? I mean, so you don't want your science to be rigorous? Okay, so we'll just we'll just you know henceforth re- realize that all the nutritional research is not not done with a rigorous scientific model, and we'll just ignore it. Okay, right. It, it's the same way where people will will not question a pharmaceutical prescription. They're just like, okay, cool, this pharmaceutical prescription, I'll take this, no problem, no questions asked, because a doctor prescribed it, and not worry about the things that I put in my body in terms of macronutrients. Why would you not apply the same rigor and standard of testing to food that you would pharmaceuticals? Absolutely right. Fifty thousand years ago, we didn't we didn't think about such things. We just ate as much fatty meat as we could get our hands on. We ate a little veg if we couldn't find any fatty meat, and you know we would eat dirt, grass seeds, uh, you know, just uh, whatever if we couldn't find fatty meat or veg. And so, but I think it's pretty clear in the anthropological evidence that we ate as much fatty meat as we can get our hands on since we've been the species Homo sapiens sapien on this planet, which is from a quarter of a million to 300,000 years, depending. But I mean, there's a, in anthropology, this is a settled, there's no debate about this. There's no debate that there was never a vegan society, that there's never been a group of humans that ate mostly uh, plant-based foods if they had a choice. Now, if you were a subject in the Roman Empire, or you know, a, a warrior in the in the Russian or the the Roman army, you ate lots of wheat because wheat's cheap. It's got enough protein, so your body just won't fall apart. Uh, and and you didn't expect your soldiers or your subjects to really live past thirty years of age. So wheat was the perfect food. It was cheap. It was easy to grow. It was easy to store. You can make bread that would last for a few weeks with it. But if what we're looking for, which is what I think you and I and all of your listeners are looking for, is the proper human diet, optimal mm. nutrition, optimal performance, whether it's in the gym or just in life or in the bedroom or wherever, then I think there is a proper human diet that anthropologists pretty much, they, they know what it's been for the last 200,000 years. It's only for the last 50 or 60 years, we've been believing the silly superstition that lots of whole grains and lots of fruits are actually part of a proper human diet. Yeah, well, I want to dig into that. I mean, you're you're the number one guy to dig into this with because it's basically the premise of your book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. And I, I want to dig into that because I still am just so confused. I mean, I guess it's political. I guess it's corruption. It's it's money, all these things. But it's such common sense when you really look at like what you're preaching with your content and everything. I mean, it's just common sense. All that we've done to get in this obesity, chronic disease epidemic has gone against 
what our genes are designed to need, right? So I guess my question becomes, how did this happen? Why, why can we just not trust the experts? How have we been led so far astray? Well, there, there, there came a point, and it's really, it's really a part of the American story. Um, um, there came a point back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s when we became, as a society, very enamored with technology and progress and modern modern things. We loved it. We wanted it, everything. And so some people think that there was some conspiracy that, you know, we had all these this post-war employment and they all needed jobs, making stoves and shoes and stuff. But back in the in the, the 1800s and the early 1900s, Americans were very frugal. We didn't we didn't think we needed a new pair of shoes even once a year, in, in some cases, we didn't think we needed a new stove every two or three years when the color scheme changed. And so if you tried to sell, you know, somebody in the 1910s a stove, they're like, I got a stove. I don't, I don't need a stove. <laughs> and so we had to, and so we had to start using, this is modern. This is the newest technology. This is the latest breakthrough. And then we could say, oh, this, you know, and so there actually used to be Crisco commercials and, and ma- magazine ad- advertisements that would say, you don't want to cook with lard like your old grandmama. You want to cook with the new modern Crisco, right? It doesn't, you're, you're, you don't want your kitchen to smell like grandma's kitchen. Women bought that, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be like my old grandmama. You know, she was fat and wore the same dress every day. I want to be new and modern. I want to be a Cosmo girl. And so, we as a society bought into this and and the u.s has been such a leader in most fields either by force or just by choice that most other countries just kind of picked up on that and they're like yeah we want the modern stuff we want the latest and greatest and we fooled ourselves because i'm i am not anti-technology i'm i'm talking to you right now on zoom on my iphone you know what i'm saying i mean i've got the fastest internet you can get in nashville I'm all about technology, but what we can't do is we cannot forget that we are an ancient species of mammal. Right. And just like a lot of people have forgotten that their house cat is a feline, it is a an obligate carnivore. Mm-hmm. If you feed cats anything other than that, they get fat and diabetic and develop fatty liver. They're miserable, they're cantankerous, and they die sooner because you're poisoning that cat. Human beings are exactly the same way. We are facultative carnivores. We can eat some veg. I think that ketones, fatty acids are our primary fuel system. If we can't get that, then we can definitely, we can eat some grass seeds. I mean, there are, you know, episodes where people actually boiled the leather on their shoes and ate it. You can do that, not die for a, a few weeks or a few months. That doesn't mean that's our proper human diet. And so I think with all our our love and our lust for all things technological and modern, we came to trust medical science, nutrition science. We came to trust all the modern developments more than we trusted, hey, we are an ancient quarter of a million-year-old species of mammal that needs to eat a certain diet if we're going to enjoy, you know, optimal health. And I think that's the really, and you know, we can blame it on Ansel Keys, and there are all these mm-hmm. players whose names we shout out. But really, our society as a whole became distracted from, hey, you know what? Nature has been doing this for a long damn time. And yeah. so for us to come along and do it, have a few technological breakthroughs and then think we're somehow above nature, that, that's the definition of foolishness. 
Yeah, it's crazy too. It, it's so interesting to me how how you got here as well, just because, um, you know, man, where you where you really like became my number one favorite doctor. I, th- I think it was a, a conversation you had with Saladino, where you were just explaining like, man, I gave conventional medical advice for sure. however many years, and you said you kind of feel this responsibility because you feel like you some of that advice might be you know to blame for deaths even, and you just feel Absolutely. this tremendous responsibility and like that level of vulnerability and humility that you showed there being like, I feel like I have something to make up for. I'd love to yep. chat about you know, how you got there, how you decided to re-educate yourself and how can we get others there, other experts? Yeah. And I will. And I think they are coming along slowly, but surely. And in some cases, begrudgingly, but they're You're coming right. along, but yeah, I am the doctor back in 2001 when you were filling out that first food frequency questionnaire if you came to me as a patient, you were obese and type 2 diabetic, I would tell you to join the gym and join Weight Watchers. This mm-hmm. is simple. You just burn more than you eat. Eat less, move more. Duh. How hard is that to understand? I was that arrogant asshole doctor who was saying those things back in 2000, 2001, two and three. But then when I got to be about 35 years of age, I started developing obesity and prediabetes probably had fatty liver, had all kinds of inflammatory signals my body was giving me, basically saying, hey, Bubba, you're killing yourself. What are you doing here? Mm. And I was eating, I was eating, you know, a standard American crap diet. And so I thought, well, and so at my worst, I was 297 pounds, almost 300 pounds. Wow. Had an A1C of 6.1, just was inflamed, sick, miserable, pissed off all the time. And so I went back and looked at my nutrition notes from med school, of which there were very few, weren't many. We only had a one day a, a week, half a semester class in nutrition. <clears throat> and very little of that was devoted to how do you just feed a normal guy? How do you feed a normal woman who's got a, you know, a husband and a job and a dog and three kids? What should she eat? That's not really what we learned about in our nutrition class. We learned about if that woman had been in a house fire and had third degree burns and was unconscious, how would you replace her fluids and her electrolytes and her protein and fats? We learned we were very well educated in that. Or if you were in a rollover car accident and you were in a coma for three months and I had to feed you through an IV, I could calculate all that stuff based on your height, age, gender, you know, all that stuff. And I could feed you for months in the ICU to keep you from dying until hopefully you recovered from your injuries and then you could start feeding yourself again. But when it comes to just feeding the normal person out on the street, we are, we got basically, I can sum it up in three statements, eat lots of whole grains, avoid saturated fat and jog. Right. And so I applied that to my fat self as a doctor and it didn't work. I actually gained more weight and I didn't feel any better. I didn't sleep any better. I, I was still inflamed and miserable. And it was at that point, that was kind of my epiphany of, Oh, guess what, Dr. Barry? You probably don't know what the hell you're talking about when it comes to what should somebody who's overweight and pre-diabetic, diabetic, fatty liver, inflamed, what should that person eat? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And right. so it was it was at that point that I stopped looking over my medical school nutrition notes and started reading far outside of my medical box about the care and feeding of the human animal. Mm. And that's huge too. Something that, that I appreciated very much because I'm in this world where, I mean, dude, I've been a professional musician for 17 years. I still make my, I pay my bills playing music. Right. But so it's not lost on me. It's it's, I say this every time I have a doctor on the show where I'm like, it's not lost on me that people have to come to a random musician in Nashville to learn how their metabolism right. works. 
Right. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> right. It's crazy yeah. to me. But you're yeah. very vocal and you were in Lies My Doctor told me about like Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf and these books and everything that you read and these YouTube influencers of now, now you are a YouTube influencer. But it's so refreshing that you were so open to that because really the 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 majority from what I've seen, the majority of the doctors are actually quite harsh and will, I mean, just publicly shame guys like me. It's like, how dare you? You have no credentials. Yeah. And of course, you don't want people running around giving nonsense information, which happens all the time too. Yeah. But so what makes you just so so open and accepting of kind of the guys like me? Well, well, I, I took an oath a long time ago and I and unlike evidently some healthcare providers, I actually meant it. <laughs> and so that's why I'm I'm basically spending the rest of my professional career undoing the damage that I almost assuredly did during the first part of it, giving idiotic nutrition and medical advice. And that's why I wrote the book, was trying to make amends and basically publicly say, I'm sorry for being a moron and, and you know, probably definitely hurting people, maybe even killing people. <clears throat> and so now what what I look at much more than the messenger is the message. And uh, I'm happy to tolerate. I mean, I, I know people who are mechanics, who are hairdressers. Now I know a musician who are like, dude, you got to stop eating all the carbs. You got you got to stop that. It's really bad for you. Mm. But I think actually that there are so many people like that out there. People who, if you'd have told me, if I'd have told you, you know, 10 years ago, hey, you're going to have a YouTube uh, channel video. You're going to have a podcast talking about nutrition. You'd have been like, no, no way. Oh, no, I'm not. I, I was, no I was shooting Jaeger and Miller Lite. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd be like, that's stupid. I'm never going to do that. Why would I do that? Right. But you found a, you found a way of eating that has literally transformed your life and your health and, and, and then your family members. And, and so when you see something like that, it's hard to unsee it. And then when you go to your doctor or you see some doctor talking in some public forum and they're saying just the dumbest stuff, that's the exact opposite of what worked for you and your family and your friends. It's almost like you have this, this duty within you, this calling to say, no, no, that's mm -hmm. not right. This is what worked for me. This is what worked for my mama and her friend. This, I think this really, and what you're, you're not, you're not proselytizing this as the black or white, yes or no, it's either this or nothing. You're just saying, hey, this at least needs its day in court. This at least needs to be heard. This at least needs to be looked at. And there are many people in the ivory towers of nutrition and medicine who are happy to make fun of you for doing what you do and happy to discount you and be like, that's foolishness. Some musician in Nashville, what the hell does he know? And ignore the message. And that's a very common fallacy in, in logic is to, you know, blame the messenger or, or laugh at the messenger and ignore the message. Uh, humans have done that since the beginning of, of language. That's that's I think that's uh, just a, a, a human a law of human nature that we're always going to attack the messenger if the message makes us uncomfortable. And so if we are indeed this, this species that stood up and put clothes on and become very technologically advanced, we should also be logically advanced as well. Mm. And we, if I'm an expert in something, I shouldn't become a defensive and emotional if I have a musician from Tennessee tell me what, he, what worked for him and multiple people he knows, I should calm down and go, well, I mean, you know, uh, nutrition and medical breakthroughs have come from, from other dumber places than that. Mm. maybe I should look at this and go, hmm, let's, let's look at this. Let's think about this for a second. Only takes a second because in fact, there are multiple 
people out there on the internet and gurus and influencers who are saying stupid crap. There's no doubt that's <laughs> yes. out there. There's yeah. it's totally out there. But, and so it's easy to look over somebody's message for 10 minutes and go, that's, that's ridiculous. There's nothing to that right. and move on. Right? right. And I think that's what the, the experts and influencers and gurus are going to have to start doing that. They're going to have to start going, well, let's look at this vegan diet. Let's look at the anthropology. Let's look at the common sense. Let's look at the meaningful research. Is there something to this? And you look at it for 10 minutes and go, well, I mean, there's a lot of disease and frailty and fatigue. So yeah, I think probably that's a bad idea. No society ever in the history of humanity has ever lived as a vegan society and prospered. They didn't even leave any archaeological evidence. So that tells you they didn't last very long. Right. And so, I, you know, I think we've looked at the vegan argument and it doesn't meet muster. So then we move on. Oh, thank you, baby. Then we move on to the next thing. And so I think as more and more um, experts, healthcare providers, nutritionists, dietitians, as keto keeps repetitively being said to them, and it mm-hmm. is, I promise mm-hmm. you, because there's there's now millions of people like you out there. Every time they go to their doctor and they say, I mean, I'm eating keto or I'm eating carnivore. Uh, the doctor, you know, the first patient that said that, he just thought they were a kook. The 10th yeah. patient, he's like, what the hell is there a cult? And then the 100th and the 500th patient, he's like, okay, I got to Google this. What the heck is this keto carnivore thing? Because obviously people don't go and take a risk of their doctor chastising them unless they found something that really works and yeah. is sustainable and has done things for their health and their family's health that nothing that doctor's ever told them before has done. People yeah. are not going to take that risk and stand up to a somebody with a long white coat and a stethoscope and somebody they looked up to since perhaps they were a child. They're not going to take that social risk. They're going to sit down and shut up. But yep. but you you know how many people have went to their doctor and just been like, look, Weight Watchers is awesome. You, I'm going to start this Weight Watcher YouTube channel and I'm going to just tell the world. There's there's nobody like that no. because Weight Watchers only works as long as you're starving yourself. And as soon as you stop starving yourself, you gain all the weight back plus 10 pounds, just like their spokeswoman has done multiple, multiple times. And so so the very fact that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people speaking out to the experts saying, no, dude, you're wrong. This worked for me. I think that's 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 got to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. And and a great example of this, where, where my story comes from, I'll give you the, the super short version is, uh, you know, I was studying nutritional therapy just out of curiosity, really. And I was into Rob Wolf's work and I was paleo and my niece was born terminally ill. She was having 300 plus seizures a day mm. and they did over a million dollars in testing. I mean, she's still with us today. She's five, but she's, you know, hundred percent vegetative. She's fed through a feeding tube. And that's where I was introduced to the Charlie Foundation and the ketogenic diet as a therapeutic modality yeah. for infant yeah. seizures. But the thing is, you know, we're both here in Nashville. I'm at, I was at Vanderbilt University with like some of the top neurologists in the world. And they're giving her this stuff called KetoCal, which is a ketogenic baby formula. But the first five ingredients are hydrogenated vegetable oils. It's just high fat. Exactly. Right? right. So just to show people that I don't think these doctors are malicious I just took the can to the neurologist and said, have you read these ingredients? And he said, wow, I've never thought to check the ingredients. I believe that. And he was baffled. Yep. He was blown away by it, yep. you know? Yeah, because what happened with that doctor and what happens with every doctor is that an older doctor trained him or her 
And and they looked up to that older doctor and mm. trusted them because medicine is very much an art. Medicine is also very much like the old uh, caste system and like the old uh, apprentice system. That's how that's how doctors are trained. Is you ha- basically have a guy or a, w- a man or woman you look up to and you just basically trust them blindly because you don't know you ain't a doctor when you're training, mm-hmm. but they know and they they have this air of knowing it all. And so what happened with that young doctor is he believed whoever his, you know, guru was blindly and he didn't think about it. And, mm-hmm. and, there, and so if your hairdresser does that, that's OK, because your hairdresser has no fiduciary responsibility to you for your health and for the health care advice he or she gives. But your doctor took an oath. Yes. Your nutritionist and your dietitian they may not have taken an oath but they have a fiduciary duty to know what they're talking about. And that's why I chose the title for the book. I didn't call it medical myths. I called it lies mm-hmm. because when, when you're, when your car mechanic says you need a new motor for your car and you don't really need a new motor, what would you call that? That's a lie. He's yeah. trying to, he's trying to sell you a new motor, right? Absolutely. And if you're, if your hairdresser says, Oh, you need this $800 an ounce serum for your hair. And you don't really need that. Is that is that a is that a cosmetological myth? Oh, that's a big fat lie. Yeah. And so when your doctor said, "Oh, this stuff's fine," without even reading the ingredients, he doesn't get a pass. He took right. an oath. He has a license. He has a fiduciary legal responsibility to know what's in that damn baby formula before he gave that to to your your loved one. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that's why I get so triggered by this is doctors, they want to fall back like, oh, I never thought to read that. I mean, you should have slapped his face when he said that. It's very hard. It's like, are you are you freaking joking me? Yeah. We've been giving this to her for how long and you don't even know what the damn ingredients are. Think about that for a minute, doctor. Think about what that says about you as a human you as a moral, ethical being. Really? You don't even know what's in there. I'm I'm sorry. That triggers me. I'm just like, what are you doing? And no, it's most, many doctors, many doctors prescribe medications every day for their patients and they have no idea what's in the medicine. I mean, there's so many medications for depression that contain fluoride. Mm. It's, it's, it's the, it's the backbone of the molecule and the doctors don't even know it. And when you wow. tell them that they're like, Oh, I never knew that. And it just makes me want to put, lay my hands on them in the Southern sense. It's like, yeah. what is wrong with you? Uh, but yeah. And so that happens all the time. And, and, I feel like we ought not to really give doctors a pass on that because he was earnest and he was in well-intentioned, mm-hmm. but that, that doesn't count when you've taken an oath to dedicate your life to taking care of people who, who don't know what you know. You're supposed to go to the extra distance to know what the hell's in that formula. Yeah, I mean, this this is nourishment, quote unquote, that's going directly into a G tube of a one month old right. infant. You know, it's just yeah. It. And so she doesn't even get the 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 choice of it doesn't taste good. I don't want it. Right. You completely bypassed all of her upper level function, and you just stuck a tube in her stomach, and you're pumping this stuff in there, prescription stuff that you mm-hmm. signed your name to, and you don't even know what's in it. Yeah. What in the world? Yeah, and not to mention it's it's going into a G tube, and besides the hydrogenated vegetable oils, it was loaded with artificial sweeteners. Sure, absolutely. It's like, what, what do you need? 
Twitter for? Right. This is literally designed for a G2. What are we doing here, yeah. you know? Yep, yep. Exactly right. And it's unconscionable. It's unforgivable. And I'm hoping that more and more healthcare providers will take the path that I've taken mm. and say, hey, I'm sorry that I sucked. I am sorry, but I will I will not continue to suck. And I will make the world a better place by practicing the level of medicine that I should have been practicing all along. Well, and what's funny too is, I mean, dude, when you said that, when you when you gave that speech on Saladino's podcast, it's like the humility there everybody could benefit from adopting some of that in their life because this happens with me all the time too. One of the, some of the hardest conversations I have, this may be true for you as well, is with parents. When you address the way that parents are feeding their child, it's like parents will come to me and say like, Clovis is basically paleo with 60% fat, 30% protein, 10% net carbs. And these parents will come to me and be like, is this safe for my child? And like you feed your child Doritos and Capri Sun. You are blindly trusting a big food company, yeah. zero problem at all. And then I come along and say, you should maybe eat whole foods. And But the problem is, if you, if you challenge the way they're feeding their child, their identity, they're wrapped up in their identity as a parent. So they literally take it as like, you're attacking their identity. Yeah. And just like a lot of doctors, they dig their heels in. Now you got an ego just screaming at you. So how do, how do you really handle... It's kind of the same thing as doctors needing to change their minds. How do we change the minds of these parents as well? I think first and foremost, every doctor, every healthcare provider, and everybody who's going to stand up and have an opinion about nutrition needs to be leading by example. That's mm. number one. You first of all, you need to fix yourself. Right. And so if you if you're obese, don't even talk to me about nutrition. I mean, you you know the percentage of obesity in in registered dietitians. You'd be, you'd be like, wait, what? I mean, it's, it's, it's higher than the national average. Wow. There are so many obese and overweight doctors. There's so many type two diabetic doctors who are then going to walk into an exam room and proceed to tell a patient who's trusting them blindly. Mm. This is how you should eat. This is how, this is the medicine you should take. I mean, would you take advice from that mechanic if his car won't start? No. No. Why would you take advice on nutrition and health from a fat doctor? You absolutely should say, get up and maybe respectfully, maybe not so respectfully say, doctor, you need to fix, you need to heal yourself first. And then when you have, I'll be back to take advice from you. Uh, I was a fat doctor and I used to walk in the exam room and I'd be talking about, you need to lose some weight. And I would watch their eyes flick down at my belly. Mm. and back up and you know and back up uh, and you know women that see this a lot but their, their eyes are flicking down at something else <laughs> yeah. it's like you're looking at my belly and i mean yeah. because i got a big dunlap in the south you know that means it's done lapped over my belt because it's <laughs> sticking out so far <laughs> and they're like uh really is that what i should do? is that what you do and right. so I, I, in, in the south i don't know if you grew up here or not but we're a very common sense society if it don't make sense Somebody going to call you on that real quick, you yeah, know? And yeah. so if, if you're, if you're sitting in the bar drunk and you're broke and you're giving somebody financial advice, that's not going to go well for you. Cause we're going to make fun of you and be like, oh, okay, wait, let me write this down. What right. did you say I should do again? Cause you're broke <laughs> as a joke. Let me see. I should invest in what? Sure. Fat, yeah. I mean, fat doctors, fat dietitians, fat nutritionists, nobody should listen to them because they don't know even how to fix themselves. And, but you're absolutely right. When you start talking to parents about this, mm what they hear is, oh, you're saying I'm a bad parent. And that's 100%. not what you're saying. Yep. You're not making a judgment, but that's what they hear. 
mm. kind of in the lower parts of their brain is you're calling my parenting skills into question. And that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you've been misled yes. by the people who you trust. And now you believe that you're not a doctor. You're not a dietitian or nutritionist. I don't expect you to know, but you've got to hear me because what I'm telling you is going to help your child be healthier. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, it's never, it's never malice. It's that, that quotes like never attribute to malice. What can be explained through ignorance. It's like, yes. these people are not trying to hurt their child, but there does come a right. point where when you know better, you do better. Once you know, now, like you said, you got a fiduciary responsibility for the health of that child. That's the most important job on planet earth. Absolutely. A hundred percent. But so many parents are misled by their pediatrician mm. or the pediatrician will refer them to a nutritionist and they'll give them advice. And I mean, they got like handouts that come from the American Academy of Pediatrics. How's the parent, how's the parent have any power or ability to argue with that? They don't. Right. They're like, well, God, it comes from the AAP. Who am I? I should do this, right? This right. has to be the best thing for my child. And so then when you say, hey, actually, this diet is probably going to be better, not, I, you, you do call into question not on purpose, but just effectively their ability as a parent, but also you're calling out, hey, you were duped. Right. You, you fell for it. And so it hits on so many emotional levels for parents and for doctors that it takes a minute for them to put that ego back in the box and go, mm. all right, this guy, he looks great. And every, you know, everybody he's saying, look, this, this kid, that guy, this woman, they all did this. They all look great now. They look like before and after Weight Watchers ads, but the only thing is they've been doing it for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years and they still look great. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there's something here. Maybe I should put my ego aside and get my intellectual brain back out and, and start thinking about this and doing some research. Well, so what choices do people have? Let's, let's say, cause, cause I get this all the time. People will, well, one clients send their blood work to me and I'm like, I am not a doctor. <laughs> like, I'm just like, wait a second. Right. But right. the reason they're doing that is because they're they're with an in-network doctor. It's covered by their insurance. It's a conventional medicine doctor. And they'll run, quote unquote, blood work, which is really like, oh, we tested my total cholesterol, my LDL, my HDL, total, no particle numbers, nothing. And they're like, they're basically telling me if I don't get on a statin, I'm going to drop dead. Sure. So what options do people have? What questions can you ask when you've been given a kind of diagnosis? We could talk for three hours on that question. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, uh, let's see how to do this. So first of all, it's very common for a, a, a patient to have blood work at their doctor's office and then the nurse to call them or maybe the doctor call them and say, hey, we checked all your labs. Everything looks great. I'll see you in a year. Hmm. Right. And to a patient's ears, that means that my doctor checked either every lab in the book or right. every lab that could possibly be relevant to my health and everything looked great. And that patient rests assured and they go about their business for a year until they go back. But that sentence is very misleading. First of all, the, the LabCorp book of every available test is about 900 pages long. And if a doctor ordered every test in that book, it would probably cost $82 million just for that one patient. Yeah. So first of all, your doctor did not check all your lab work. And so what the doctor should say is I checked all your lab work that I consider to be relevant to you based on your age, gender and conditions. Mm. That's what the doctor means by all your lab work. And so that would be a more accurate statement. But let's dig into that. What if your doctor doesn't know about checking a C-peptide as a means for looking at it for insulin resistance or prediabetes? If your doctor doesn't know that, 
you could go for another year of your life doing permanent damage by being a pre-diabetic or even a type 2 diabetic, and your doctor didn't check the relevant labs. All they checked was a fasting blood sugar. Mm. which can be perfectly normal in someone with prediabetes or even in someone with type 2 diabetes. It's very wow. common to have a normal fasting blood sugar until you're a severely uncontrolled type 2 diabetic. But that patient trusted that doctor, and they go through the rest of their year doing permanent damage to their brain, their heart, their kidneys, their penis. Their I mean, literally everything is being damaged every day their blood sugar is high, but they don't know. They said, no, my doc said he checked all my labs and everything mm-hmm. was fine. Yeah. So I think uh, until we get enough healthcare providers woke that there's way more to this picture than just your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol, we're going to have to do some extra work ourselves as a patient. Yeah. And so you you know watching YouTube videos is a great place. Uh, reading books that are not just medical textbooks that are written by other people. I think that's a great way to start. And so then if you go to your doctor and say, doc, I would love it. I, lo- I noticed last year you didn't check my A1C or my C-peptide. Mm. And I'm worried because I've got a family history of diabetes. Is it possible that I could have prediabetes and, and just this fasting blood sugar not show that? Now, if your doctor gets emotional and gets upset by that, you need a new doctor. You need to fire that doctor right. and find somebody else. Because a doctor should be happy and proud of you that you're taking responsibility for your own health. How should that inflame any doctor? That should be like, oh, I've got a very motivated patient here. That's what the doctor should be thinking instead of, oh, so you con- you know, you consulted Dr. Google. Yes. That's, that's, that's an asshole doctor. You need to fire that doctor after you give him or her a piece of your mind and find somebody else to entrust your health to. So go and ask your doctor and say, hey, I saw this YouTube video and if, if that upsets you, I'm sorry, but I'm concerned about my health. Yeah. I think that's the way to approach it. Not only are you going to help wake that doctor up, you're going to be teaching that if that doctor doesn't know. And I, back in 2001, if you came in for a routine annual exam, I would check your fasting blood sugar, lipid panel, BMP, urinalysis. That was it. I didn't yeah. check anything else. And so you could, I, I missed type 2 diabetes multiple times. And I know I did. There's no way I didn't. Wow. But I didn't know. And so if you'd come to me back then, I would have probably got a little arrogant with you. Like, well, hey, you know, I did go to medical school. and But but even back then, I think I would have still said, you know what? Let's check your A1C and C peptide. It's fine. I don't care. And then when it came back high, I'd have been like, oh, crap. I need to do some extra <laughs> reading. Right? Yeah. And so let me let me give your listeners a uh, some verbiage that they can use. Sure. So when you watch the YouTube video or two and or listen to this podcast for a while and you've read a book or two and you want some extra labs checked that your doctor doesn't check, here's what you say. You say, Hey, I'm really motivated to be as healthy as I can be. Would you check these extra labs in addition to what you normally check, which ain't very much? If the doctor says, Yeah, I don't mind, then good, you won. Boom. If the doctor says, no, I don't, I'm afraid your insurance won't pay for that. Then you're going to say, I'm happy to write a check for it. If you could just file it that I'm paying cash, because you'll get it like a 90% discount if you say that. Wow. The doctor knows that. A lot of doctors will up bill you. They'll, they'll pay LabCorp 10 bucks for a TSH and they'll charge you 90 bucks. Wow. That happens all the time. It's called up billing. And uh, I used to have uh, people come and try to sell diagnostic tests to me and be like, oh, you, this is what the average doctor is doing. And I'm like, mm, that's kind of shitty. I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> so I never did that. But a lot of doctors do do that. And it's a huge revenue source. 
And so then if your doctor's like, I don't care if you're going to pay for it or not, it's not medically indicated and I'm not going to order it. Then you say the following, listen carefully, doctor, I'm very concerned about my health and I, I feel like these tests will help me understand my health better. If you're not going to order them for me, would you document in the permanent medical record that you refused to order these tests that I was, I was wanting ordered? Could you document that? And then I'd like a copy of my, my chart note from today after you finish that. You can fax it or mail it. You don't have to give it to me today. But as soon as you finish documenting that you refuse to order these tests, I'd like a copy of that note. Wow. You've just triggered, you've just triggered every protective human nature thing in that doctor. Because the ultimate thing doctors are, they, the ultimate thing they should be afraid of is practicing bad medicine. But right. for most doctors, the thing they're most afraid of is a, li is a liability, is a malpractice lawsuit. And so if, if he does document that, he or she documents that, and then you die for any reason in the next year, that's in the record. Wow. That he refused to order these tests. And every doctor is immediately going to think that out and go, fine, I'm sorry, what do you want me to order? Or wow. they're going to kick you out of their office, in which case that's a, that's a very good thing. You should thank them for that and go find a doctor that gives a damn. But if you say that sentence to any rational doctor, they're going to order whatever you want to order, or they're going to fire you as a patient, either of which is going to be a victory for your long-term health. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's worth the price of admission here for this free podcast, but that's like the, about the best piece of information I think we've ever been given in terms of medical advice. That's brilliant. It's funny because my brother, he's here in town too. He's an attorney and he tells me that all the time. He's like, look, man, he's like, people think that these doctors are being malicious or whatever. He's like, most of the time, the things they're saying to you are to cover their own ass. Yeah, absolutely. They're just worried about liability. You know, yeah, they, they don't know what they're talking about in many aspects, which is, you know, we're all ignorant to some degree. We're all we all should be learning every day. But then the liability where it's drummed into us as medical students and young doctors is here's how you don't get sued. Here's how yeah. you don't have a malpractice lawsuit. And so that's going to trigger all those fears that they've had for years and they'll order whatever you want, want ordered. Right. Wow. That's incredible, man. Well, and I know, I know that you have a, a limited amount of time today. There was, do you have time to dig into a cholesterol question or? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So this, this is selfish of me. This is me now. Like I got Ken Berry on my show and I want to ask him about this. Sure. So, um, I've become good buddies with Paul Saladino. Love the dude. He's brilliant. I guess the, the, the one question I have that I haven't been able to, to, to untangle myself is I've been told for years that I was familial hypercholesterolemia. And I never really bought it and just didn't seem quite correct. But now I'm in this position where I've been introduced to the work of Dave Feldman and this idea of lean mass hyper responders, right? So I guess the question I have for you is I am a textbook lean mass hyper responder. I mean, I, I, I check every single box. Sure. So am I. Okay. So this is great then. This is going to be perfect to ask you. So I guess my question is, and I've asked this to Paul as well, we chatted about it a little bit of even though I understand all of the concepts, and you actually said this in your book too, you, you cited a study that the higher the cholesterol, the lowest the risk, the lower the risk of basically all-cause mortality or at least cardiovascular right. disease, right? Right. So I guess the question becomes this idea of high cholesterol potentially being protective. Does that mean that we should just purposefully be driving that cholesterol as high as humanly possible? Because I mean, I'm dealing with 
you know, 3,500 LDL particle number over 3,500, just out of reference range. Yeah. Total cholesterol is over 540. It's like, I, I can't even measure the numbers at this point. So right. is there like, is there a law of diminishing returns here? Does it eventually get bad or? I, I haven't seen any meaningful research that makes me believe that basically what your numbers mean is that you are fully fat adapted and you are a fat burner. Mm-hmm. If your body's going to burn fat for fuel, then you have to transport fat to get it to your muscles and your bones and every other part of your body for it to burn that fat. It has to be transported. And LDL is one of the ways we transport fat. That's, I mean, LDL has many functions in the human body, which the average doctor does not know. They think it's just to cause you to have heart attacks. That's what they right. use it for. <laughs> right. And so uh, Saladino is, he's a great resource for people. And I love it that you've had, you've had him on here. Um, I'm not afraid of elevated total cholesterol or elevated LDL cholesterol at all. I don't think you should go out of your way to try to make it higher. I think you should let it do what it wants to do. I don't think that they're markers of disease risk. I don't think that's what they are. I think they've been mislabeled as that Mm. by medical science since Ansel Key started talking about saturated fat, bad vegetable fats, good. That's when that all started. So, my last uh, total cholesterol was 250, and my, my last uh, LDL was 350. Mm-hmm. And I'm due to have my labs checked again, and I suspect they'll be about that or maybe a little higher because for the last year, I've been eating just fatty meat, the fattiest cuts of meat I could eat, and organ meats. That's what I've been eating. And maybe once a week, I might have five grams of a carbohydrate here and there if I grab a Brussels sprout off Nisha's plate or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I do best on a fatty meat carnivore diet with with liver and and heart and and then you know i'm playing around with some um desiccated animal organ supplements i'm not ready to recommend those yet Mm -hmm. but uh, i i eat eat nose to tail as i can i just recently had some real oxtail so fatty so delicious absolutely divine i've learned how to cook beef liver so it's delicious so i don't think you should worry about what your total cholesterol and LDL is at all. If your doctor says your total cholesterol is high, therefore I want to put you on a statin, your doctor's at least 10 years behind on reading even mainstream medical. Because sure, sure. we've known for 10 years that total cholesterol is meaningless for heart disease risk. The American Heart Association took took their saturated fat intake guidelines out of the recommendations very quietly, by the way. They didn't yeah. issue a press release. They just stopped saying you should limit total your your cholesterol intake they stopped saying that because it's dumb to say that and so they took it out of their guidelines i think back in 2014 but all of medicine is moving very slowly away from the lipid hypothesis of heart disease and from giving everybody a statin but there are those very vocal very uh pushy doctors who are still pushing it on some patients but that's I think you'll see within the next five years that just kind of dies a very quiet death and goes away because the research is in and it's obvious. There have been there are actually a couple of very, very large studies done that weren't published or they were published in a very small throwaway journal because it didn't hold up the party line that eating lots of saturated fat and, and you know, having high cholesterol is dangerous for heart attack and stroke. It just didn't hold that up at all. And these were controlled ward studies wow. of thousands of patients. And they just were buried, basically, because they're like, if I publish this, I'll lose my membership to the American Heart Association. I can't publish this. And so they, they found one in a basement, and they found another in an attic, and, and they, they are now being circulated mainly by people like me and Dave Feldman and Saladino saying, yeah, the research is clear 
Saturated fat does not increase your risk of heart disease. Saturated fat is good for human animals. Uh, and if your total cholesterol is high, then don't worry about it. It doesn't mean anything, right? And so yeah. now let's talk about familial hypercholesterolemia. Okay. If your doctor hasn't done genetic testing on you, then it is impossible for your doctor to know whether you have FH or whether you're a lean mass hyperresponder. It is impossible to tell the difference unless you had your genetic testing done to show that you have the genes that give you familial hypercholesterolemia. That's number one. Okay. Just because you have a sky-high total cholesterol does not mean you have an FH. That is okay. not the diagnostic criteria for that, but many doctors think it is. So don't feel bad if you thought that's what it was. That ain't it. Sure. You've got to check the genetics to know that. Secondly, the studies on people with FH, familial hypercholesterolemia, because we were taught in med school, I was taught if somebody's got FH, they'll be dead by 30, 40 tops. I mean, they're just wow. going to die of a heart attack super young. But when you actually look at the studies about people with FH, that's not the case at all. They have okay. a tiny bit of increased risk of heart attack and stroke over the baseline population. It's tiny. It's almost nothing. But the way we were taught is if your cholesterol is 350, I mean, you're, you're a dead man walking. But wow. that's not actually what the studies show at all. That was just the interpretation of the studies, the interpretation that was based on the paradigm of high cholesterol is bad. So they saw it through that lens, again, earnestly and well-intentioned, but wrong. And so when you go back and look at it with fresh eyes, with my eyes or Saladino's eyes or Dave Feldman's eyes, we're like, actually, this, this shows almost no difference between people with FH and regular normal cholesterols. So, yeah, the whole thing's been blown out of proportion. And I have people message me every day and say, hey, I've got FH. Is, is, are, your guy, are, are your recommendations different from me? And I'm like, first of all, 99% of the time, you're, you don't have FH. Your doctor probably hasn't checked the genetics. Secondly, no, it still doesn't matter. Eat mm. your fatty meat and you're welcome. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in the absence of other things. That's like this, this lean mass hyperresponder thing. I mean, you know, super low triglycerides. I'm sub 10% body fat. My, all my inflammation markers, they're below reference range. Right, exactly. So if I have no inflammation, why would I worry about, you know, cardiovascular yeah, yeah, disease? Yeah. Just your, your markers of inflammation, my markers of inflammation, and Paul Saladino's markers of inflammation alone should shut up anybody in, in the universe who wants to say eating meat is inflammatory. It's yeah. just dumb. It's based on no science whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know, man. Well, and I, I, I know you're coming up on time, I'm sure, but I just wanted to uh, see if you could come up with maybe, maybe just two or three things that listeners should ask, because I, I, one of the biggest issues I run into, and I know you get this all the time is I try to get people to ditch conventional medicine and work with functional medicine, medical doctors. That's what I try to get people to get their hands on and just, but then you run into the situation of paying out of pocket and insurance and all this. So if you could maybe help people with a couple of questions that they should ask a potential primary care physician before deciding if they use that doctor or if they run out the door. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I was trained traditionally in allopathic medicine. Uh, my practice has moved much more towards a functional type practice. Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody, if you're interviewing a new doctor, you've got to be careful of both specialties, whether they're an MD or a DO or whatever if, if part of their care of you is going to be you buying $400 a month worth of supplements, mm. 
I'm immediately done with that that person. No, nobody needs that many supplements. And and so if they sell their own brand of supplements, it's like that's pretty much mandatory. That's done. No, that's they're just yeah. trying to make money, and that, that's human nature. It's okay, but that's not going to help you optimize your health. If you go and so any doctor you're talking to, if, if you say I brought a couple of articles I printed off, if they become emotional about that, that's a huge red flag right off the bat. If you take and I've had people say, you know, I took all my labs and I put them in a power in an Excel spreadsheet. How motivated is that that somebody did that? I'm like, boom, let me see that, right? Yeah, yeah. If your doctor's like, I don't need to look at that. I'm going to order the labs you need. That's a huge red flag that they're not really concerned about, you know, the the trajectory of your health. Because why would I not want to see your A1C graft over the last 10 years? Why would I not want to see that as a doctor? Yeah. And so if your doctor is not interested in looking at what you brought with you to that first visit, that's a huge red flag. If they become emotional or upset, that's a huge red flag. Because even back when I was a fat, arrogant, stupid doctor, if you brought some article you printed off on the internet, I would be like, yeah, I'll read it. I can't read it now. I'll read it later. Next time you come, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. That didn't trigger me. But if your doctor becomes emotional, mm-hmm. or if they say, I want you to take this Zocor, Lipitor, Crestor, and you're like, I'm not going to take that. I'm afraid it's going to you know, cause muscle spasms or pain or whatever. If they become emotional about that, that's a huge red flag that their their knowledge pool is very shallow. Yeah. And and they're 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 very insecure about what they're recommending to you. Even back when I in 2001, I would say, well, I'll, you know, I'll just document that you refused it. It's fine. I still love you. Whatever. I'll take care of everything else, but I'll just document that. So sure. I'm covered. Yeah. Back to the malpractice again, right? But right. I didn't care if you took a statin or not back in 2001, two or three. I, I believed you should, but I wasn't going to get emotionally upset at you. That's, yeah. that's, that's a huge red flag. And so if that, if the naturopath gets upset with you that you won't buy his supplements, I, just walk out, you're done. Yeah. If your allopathically trained doctor gets upset because you won't take a statin, gets emotional, that's a huge red flag. You need to just walk out. Beautiful, man. I'm so glad you touched on that. Cause I cannot count the number of times I've had new clients come to me. Like I've been working with my functional medicine doctor for the last eight months and then I go to that person's website and I'm like, oh, this is a naturopath and you're on $300 a month in supplements. Right. The specific brand of supplements right. that's like yeah. an MLM yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Crazy. So it's just basically, a, it's a different style of screwing. They still got screwed, yeah. but it was just a different, it was a different style, right? Instead of getting, <laughs> taking crap you don't need, you're taking crap you don't need and paying more for it. It's just like, what is going uh, on here? And I've had many people come to me and be like, well, I, you know, I've been watching your YouTube videos. And so I went to this naturopathic doctor or this DO who's more into functional medicine and they all they want to do is talk about their supplements. And so they get, they get almost doubly disappointed. They're disappointed with their, their MD. So they go another route and then they're again disappointed because in the end, everybody, you got to remember, we're all just humans. We're just humans. And we put our pants on the same way you do. And we all have our, our favorites and we all have stuff we hate and we all have stuff that we promote and we all got bills to pay. You got to always keep that in the back of your mind and look at your healthcare provider as a learned health partner, not Mm. your doctor, daddy, not your medical boss, but a learned health partner. And so if your mechanic says you need a new engine, you don't have to blindly accept that. You can go get a second opinion, which you should do. And if your doctor's saying something that to your mind or to your heart seems completely backwards to what you thought your health needed, 
don't be shy. Get a second opinion. Get a third opinion. Do some reading. Do some research. Listen to some podcasts. Watch some YouTube videos. This is your one life. And if you trust somebody, no matter how thoroughly and, and blindly you trust them, if they're wrong, your health is going to suffer, and that's going to be permanent. And that's that. There's no reset button. Wow, man, such practical advice. This is just full of gems, man. Thank you so much. And I want to wrap up by just having you tell people where can they find you? Obviously, I know uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me is now on Audible, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's on Audible. It's available wherever books are sold and you can get the Audible version now. So if you're spoiled by Audible books like I am now, (laughs) you can actually listen to it while you do something else. And so that, that, that I love it when a book's on Audible. I have a, uh, a little YouTube channel. If you search Dr. Ken Berry, you can probably find that on YouTube. I have a little Facebook page. I, I, I go uh, live every Monday or Sunday night, depending. My wife, Nisha, is not much pregnant right now. Oh, and wow. so we're, we're kind of having to bounce between Sunday night and Monday night lives. But we talk about a topic. We talk about the latest news articles. And then we a- answer questions for people just like you. And so we do that. I'm also on Twitter. If I'm feeling especially snarky, I'll get on Twitter and slap some people around. Uh, I'm also on Vero and Gab and TikTok trying to reach the teenagers and say, Hey, what you eat matters. Beautiful, man. I love that. That's cutting edge right there. You're on TikTok. It's killer, man. (laughs) Kudos. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I just want you to know that your work really means a lot to me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Your book was amazing. Your content's amazing. I'll put all this in the show notes, connect people with you. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime, man. Congrats on the the future baby as well. That's amazing. I know. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having me. This was a pleasure. We can definitely do it again. And thank everybody for, for taking the time to listen to this. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. Have a great day. All right.